With that, let's pray, and we'll get into 1 Timothy. We're going to read verses 11 through 21, but I'm going to skip verses 17 through 19. And if you're visiting, I'm not necessarily skipping these, but we just covered them last week. And so we're going to look at the final charge that Paul gives to young Timothy here. Um, Father, we come before you grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place, in this nation where we can freely worship you, we can freely uh, read our Bibles, we, can, uh, we have this great freedom that not many Christians have had over the centuries. And so, Father, as we study your word today, we ask that you would give us clear minds, Lord. Help us not to be distracted by uh, the circumstances of life. Um, Lord, help us to uh, keep our minds on you. We ask that your word would, would make it into our heads and down to our hearts, that we would uh, be encouraged, that we would be challenged by this section of Scripture, that we uh, would really just give you all that we are. Um, we sing songs like, all I want is you, and, and Lord, I'm convicted that uh, there, are, there are things out there that lure our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to grow in our desire of you and our passion of walking with you in this life that is so brief. Uh, we ask that this time would be fruitful, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And you make the good confession, which you made in the, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now. In Christ's good name we pray, amen. All right, so today we're concluding the, this book of Timothy. Um, next week we're going to begin the study of Philippians, um, finding joy in, in all circumstances. It's a great little book. We're going to cover that over the summer. Um, today as we look at these verses, it, it's very easy to see them as just words on a page. Um, but I want us to be able to see the, the, the heart, the passion, um, the intensity that the Apostle Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, that he is trying to fire him up. He's encouraging him. I, I see sort of like on the, 
the battlefield of a, of a commander firing up the troops to go the distance. So there's love here. There's passion here. Um, there's a zeal for the ministry that Paul is conveying uh, to young Timothy. And I love it. I mean, he's, he is all in. And so we begin. But flee from these things, you man of God. And I have to deal with this first word, but, which refers to verse 10. I, um, I've been dwelling on this but all week. I, uh, it's okay to laugh. I, um, I've been eager to get to this point all week. I, um, I have in my notes, you know, in the newspaper, sort of buried away on, you know, section E, page 10, there's a little paragraph, and you'll see uh, editor's correction and clarification that they had published something that was incorrect, and now they're writing the record. Well, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> Last Sunday after church, I realized that I had said something based on a false assumption that I now take issue with. And so I'm, I'm going to scold myself in front of you all. Uh, if for nothing else, for the sake of my own conscience, n- nobody said anything to me all week about this. But last Sunday, after church, my eyes were kind of opened. And I was like, oh, man, that's not good. I want to get on the phone and call every single person that was at church. <laughs> Correct the record. And it all started, um, so after church, we get home. And, and Anna and I, we always kind of like debrief, like, hey, what'd you think? How could I improve? Did I say anything? It was off. Uh, you know, we just kind of go through these things. And she looks at me and she says, honey, did you, um, did you, were you intentionally trying to offend a lot of people? I said, <laughs> I'm like, let me think. Because, you know, sometimes there's stuff that's intended to offend. I mean, it's, I get, like, no, I don't like this. Like, maybe not offense is the wrong word, but it's challenging and, and she's like, well, I just didn't know if you were intentionally doing it or you said something that you just, you just didn't realize. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you made a very big point in the second service about the root or a root of uh, you know, the love of money or is a root of all sorts of evil. But I said at one point, and I can hear the words in my mind, speaking off the cuff, which is always dangerous in the passion of everything. She's like, yeah, you were going... And you said, if your translation said the, you have a terrible translation. (laughs) And I look at her, and I said, are you messing with me? And she said, well, I was, as you were saying that, my childhood translation, I thought, said that. So I went on Google while you were speaking. (laughs) And sure enough, there's a couple big translations that actually have the the there. I don't know how I missed it. From the Greek and the translations that I swim in and all of the commentators, there was no flag anywhere that this is like an ex... Normally when there's a, a translation variance of that significance, there's normally somewhere in there, there's a flag that arises. And so, for my conscience sake, I need a, if you happen to be in one of those translations, and I, I kind of was like, oh man, what do I do? Like, how did they put that there? Like, how did that get there? 
And I remember later, because Grace was in service last week, and, and uh, she happened to have one of the translations that had the duh there. I said, hey, honey, you remember the, the, you know, the part about root of all evil and all sorts of, do you remember that? She's like, yeah, Dad, you said if your Bible says duh, you said it was a terrible translation, and my Bible has the there. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> So, that was a false assumption on my part. I don't know how I missed it. Um, had I been aware of that, speaking off the cuff, I would have worded what I said differently. Um, no, nobody said anything to me this week, so I just, uh, <laughs> except for Anna. <laughs> um, so I had to do some digging to try to figure out how in the world did they get the the there. And it was hard to do. Nobody mentioned it. There was one, the net translation, if you're familiar with that, it's a, it's a translation that the, the uh, editing board, the translating board, they will give notes about how they reach certain conclusions. And so they were the only one that I could find that made a comment on why they put the the there, which is a, a bear with me, it's a definite article, and in the Greek there's no definite article there. And the phrase... Um, uh, the root or a root of all sorts of evils. So all sorts of evils. That phrase is connected to the root and based on the grammatical rule in the Greek, you can put the definite article there. And they said, well, based on that, we inserted the the there. However, if you do that, you have to take this as hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. And so I'm not necessarily apologizing on the content of what I said, but the reason that I'm making such a big deal of this is we have excellent translations. Um, And I would never have said something to rattle your um, trust in the translation that you have um, I would have handled it differently. So, so my concern is not necessarily in the content of what I said, because what I said is in the context there. My issue is that if you had one of the translations that had the the there, and I said, for pastors, that's a terrible translation, it was off a false assumption, and so I'm apologizing. And I take what I teach and say very seriously. Um, and so with that, let's move along. Uh, but flee from these things, you men of God. So this is a contrast back to verse 10, which he said in verse 10, by some by longing for it, that's money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he's going to say, flee from these things, you man of God. This man of God is an interesting uh, phrase. In the Old Testament, this is a phrase that would uh, be described of like an, an office of high position. Man of God was used for guys like uh, Moses, um, David, Elijah and Elisha, and others, Samuel, are, come to mind, um, because it's on my notes, not just because it uh, <clears throat> And so he says, flee from these things, you men of God. There's this contrast that there are some things, this in particular, this, this desire for money, this, this longing for it, flee from it, like Joseph flees from it. He calls him a man of God. He could have almost referred to the others of men of gold, that there were those who are chasing after gold and these things, trying to get rich off the gospel. But he says, but you, man of God, taking this, uh, this, this phrase that is often referred to these high titles in the Old Testament, 
where the New Testament, this phrase, man of God, becomes almost a generic term by Paul. And what I mean by that is, if you were to go ahead to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, you'd read a very well-known verse. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that what? The man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that man of God, it's a, it really, um, it, it, the intention is genderless. It could be male or female, that the person who follows after Christ would be equipped, just applied to all Christians. So it says, you, Timothy, flee. What did Joseph do? He fled. This is the Christian life. Part of the Christian life is fleeing certain things and then pursuing other things. And so he says, you flee these things. Don't even engage in them. Don't get caught up. Don't even try to dabble. Just flee. Run. Don't play with fire. Flee and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So chase after these things. Righteousness is is to do right in the sight of God and to other men. Um, Godliness, which I've said over and over and over again, Swindoll, describes it as taking God seriously. You could also take this word and say it's God-likeness, faith. This is a confident trust in God through all circumstances. Um, We think of faith in terms of belief. I I think that this word could be described as uh, in the sense of faithfulness, that your, your belief then affects your actions. He says, pursue love. This is the word agape, which is a, um, a word that sort of is a, is a word of uh, choice. It's not a feeling. It's to, to will to do something that is not about you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's about something greater. It's about uh, serving another based on what's best on them, not what's best for you. Serving another because... You've received the love of God, and so therefore you choose the love regardless of how others respond or act towards you. Uh, Perseverance is this word that, uh, the best way I can describe it, you guys know that exercise? Well, I know you guys all, you have the the weight down here, and they sling it over their head. The guys with like 7,000, like a Volkswagen bug, you know, in the Olympics. And they're like shaking, and you can see it in their eyes. They're like looking at At some point, somebody gives the, you're good. That moment when they have it over their head, and they're waiting for the judge to say, you've, you've held up under the weight long enough that it counts. That's the idea of this word. It's literally to remain under the weight or to remain under the pressure. That there's pressure on you. And you hold and you don't give. And so he says you persevere to remain loyal to the Lord in the midst of trial, in the midst of whatever circumstances that you're facing, you remain true. And he says gentleness. And this, this word is so interesting. And not, and not that it's, I mean, it's an interesting word. I don't, want to, I don't want to be offensive to the word gentleness. It's interesting to me because everything that we know about Timothy, what do we know about Timothy? That he's timid, that he's shy, or not, I don't know, shy, but he, he's not really like an aggressive, um, he's not the Peter that we see in the Gospels. Because <laughs> he's being challenged. To, you know, Timothy, go after it. Don't let your age hold you back. Don't be timid about, like, be bold. 
But in the midst of this, he says, Timothy, pursue gentleness, which tells me that you can be a gentle person on the exterior, but you could still have issues on the inside, that you could be gentle, pleasing, make everybody happy, but in the inside, you're, there's a harshness about you, that you're not happy with things. And so, so, so literally, gentleness is the idea of dealing, it's dealing with an attitude and behavior that is in contrast with harshness in one's dealings with others. And so he says, be gentle. Uh, we see in Timothy, he says, as you do these things, as you preach the word, do it with all patience. Don't get frustrated with the people that you've been called to preach and minister to. As I look at this list, it's very um, fruit of the spirity, if that's a word. It's like, it just sounds like the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22. A lot of the things, a lot of these words overlap. And he says, Timothy, flee from this, pursue Christ-likeness. Allow the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in your life. That's what you want. He says, he goes on and he says, fight the good fight of faith. I don't want to stop there, fight the good fight. Um, this is a word I don't think that so much has to do with uh, fighting. I, um, I always kind of took offense at the, the company that, that dealing with like MMA and, and UFC, the cage fighting type stuff that there was a t-shirt a couple years ago that said Jesus wouldn't tap. And I'm like, I just think that that's like, that's not what this is saying. This, this word fight is the word that we get our word agony from. And, and with it, it, it carries from the example of, of athletes, from farmers, from military guys who discipline themselves and take great pains at conditioning their bodies for the sake of the event that they're going to be faced with. Um, I don't have all the numbers, but you look at Olympic athletes and you look at the hours that they put in training for an event that takes a split second, uh, military guys who train and train and train and train and prepare for the potential of like a three-minute fight. Um, and so he says, fight the good fight of faith. Agonize in your training and you're disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness which he said early, take hold of the eternal life which you were called, that in Christ you have eternal life now. You don't have to wait till you die to get eternal life. We're told that when you believe in Christ, at that moment you receive eternal life, that you have it now. And he says, Timothy, take hold of the eternal life by which you were called and made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, what is this that Timothy did? What is this confession he made? in the presence of many witnesses. Almost everybody believes that this goes back to when young Timothy gave his life to Christ and following his conversion, he was baptized. And baptism is one of the two, one of the two ordinances that the church has been called to do, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we're going to participate in. And so the idea of baptism, this summer we'll have an opportunity for baptisms. If you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to be baptized because that's what Jesus told you to do. So Paul points back to this day when Timothy stood up amongst the world and said, I have died with Christ and I've been raised with him in new life for he is Lord. The good confession that he made. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Uh, 
trying to figure out how to handle it. So, so the thrust here is the Apostle Paul is charging young Timothy. And so this charge is going to happen in the name of God or the Father and of Jesus Christ. And sort of sprinkled out through the rest of the passage, there's going to be a lot of description about Jesus Christ and who he is. Um, We see God, he says, who gives life to all things, the Father who gives life to all things, and Christ Jesus who testified the good confession. You see that? The good confession. Go up to verse 12, the good confession. Seems to be an important phrase. And what I love about this, that's sort of like a, a side note, is the New Testament, when we look at this thing, this is the Apostle Paul. This is Saul of Damascus, who, who hated Christians, who murdered Christians, who was on a war path, arresting them and throwing them into jail. This isn't just some guy that Christianity made up. This is a real person in real history that lived in real time that was really opposed to the person of Jesus because the claims he made were blasphemy if not true. But yet he tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He claims that Jesus historically stood before this guy Pontius Pilate historically and made a confession that the world knew about. This isn't something that Christianity made out, that if, as, as, as the Bible speaks on historical events, if you go to extra-biblical sources and you verify the veracity of the statements that are made, history outside of the Bible aligns with the things that are in the Bible. It's huge. It's not true for every religion. So Pontius Pilate, who's Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate is a ruler, a governor of this area. That during that Passover, when Jesus was executed, he had a serious problem on his hands. Passover, everybody was in Jerusalem. The world had descended on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus rolls into town. Jesus' popularity began to grow. His hour had come. And so he grew more open about what he was about and what he was doing. And this revolt or this potential um, riot was about to happen in Jerusalem. Now there was freedom and and uh, there was freedom of religion uh, for the most part under Roman authority who con- who they controlled the world. Um, between the language of Alexander the Great who forced Greek upon the world and between the great Roman army that created the roads, they controlled everything. And there was freedom and you could worship and you could do things so long as the peace was maintained. Pax Romana is what it's called, the peace of Rome. And if you were to rock that boat of the peace of Rome, Rome would come down on you with an iron fist. And so they wanted nothing more. You could have your freedom. But if you were, the situation was going to change, Rome was going to come down. And so now you have Pontius Pilate who has a situation on his hands. There's this guy, Jesus, who the Jews are coming to him saying, we want this guy executed. He's like, what did the guy do? He claimed to be a king. He claimed to be God. And that's blasphemy. And that's, that requires a capital punishment. But... If Jews, we would take care of this on our own, but we don't have that authority under you, so we need you to do it on our behalf. And he's trying to get everything under control. And sort of the, the praetorium, we have this, this crowd is on the outside. Jesus is now in custody. They've beat him up. They've tried to appeal to them. Like, hey, look, at we, we destroyed this guy. Like, we beat him up. Certainly you have some like mercy. Like, look at him. They're screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
Pilate's kind of going to the outside. Hey, guys, like, he's really beat up. Are you guys, like, how about? And goes back, hey, Jesus, they're really out of control. Like, help me help you. And a lot of it, Jesus isn't speaking. And at one point, Pilate's like, this guy is innocent. Like, he's not done anything worthy of capital punishment. But you know what? There's a, there's a tradition here that we let a criminal go. And I got this really nasty guy. This murderer, this Barabbas, everybody hates him. And I'm going to put these two guys out there. There's no way they're going to, like, let Barabbas go. And you guys know the story. They say, hey, release him. And may the blood of Jesus' blood be on us and our kids forever. But in that back room, when Pilate's talking to Jesus, Pilate said to him, he says, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, he said, you say correctly that I'm a king, for this is the reason I've been born and for this, I've come into the world. This is my purpose, that I am the Messiah and that I am God is kind of the thrust of what he's saying. And so his good, his good confession is that he acknowledged his deity. And he acknowledged that he was Lord of Lord overall. Same thing that Timothy confessed before all people. And so now he's charging Timothy before God, the Father who's created all things, gives life to all things, and Jesus, who made this good confession also before Pontius Pilate. He says that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm charging you by their authority. You stay in the fight. You keep going. It's going to get tough. Don't give up. This morning... I'm dropping off my ladder for the shade, and, and I'm listening to the Caleb, and as I'm about to hop out of the truck back and in, they, you know, they have these little, like, devotional spots in between songs. And I, I missed who was talking, but they had this guy on, and they were talking about the difficulty that pastors face. And this guy gave a statistic that five out of six pastors quit the ministry within the first few years because of the difficulty, because of the emotional hardship, the toll that they face. And I was like, oh, that's perfect for the sermon. I gotta write that down. Like, that's... So he's telling Timothy, like, it's gonna get hard. You already have all these guys that you're trying to straighten out, but I charge you to keep the commandment without stain or approach. Watch yourself. Watch your teaching. Keep your eyes on Christ. I've, I've seen some pastors fall out recently that are good friends that have that have fallen out of the ministry for whatever reason. It's heartbreaking. I've kind of made some, like, I've kind of remembered, like, some life changes. And so some of the life changes, like, I'm now commuting to work by bike. It's 5.6 miles each way. And I wish it snowed here because I could tell my grandkids that I used to bike to work going uphill both ways in the snow. But it just turns out, like, from my house to the church, it's like a, it's like a horse saddle. And on the way home, it's terrible. It's the word. It's like that last mile and a half. It's like straight uphill. And um, I've noticed that there's one section in particular, like the road's really curvy, and then there's like this long shot that's uphill, and it goes for I don't know how far it goes. And I realize that if I look up and I look at it, what I want to do is I want to quit. I just want to set the bike down, and maybe, maybe somebody will come and give me a ride. And I like I start beating myself. I'm like, Connor, you're doing this. You're you're doing this hill because you're trying to stay healthy so that you can, and and it's so frustrating if I look at my circumstances. But I've noticed that if I just look at like the foot or two in front of the front tire and I just ignore the hill and I just pedal and 
it doesn't even bother me. Like, it really doesn't bother me because if I look right in front of me, I can't tell if I'm going up or down. It's just a little bit harder to pedal. And so I think, like, Paul is telling Timothy, keep your eyes on Jesus. If you put your eyes on the circumstances, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get frustrated, but you need to keep your eyes on the one who's called you and the one who's coming again. Keep your eyes on him, it'll be okay. Um, It's so true that if you start looking at your circumstances, you'll want to quit. You'll want to fall out. We used to, like in this, in, when I, one of my favorite things to do as a SEAL instructor during Hell Week, I was kind of like that not the big aggressive guy that could intimidate them by size. So I like to play mind games. Um, I'm reminded of this by like some of my students that are now like retired. They're like, man, you are evil. I'm like, what? I'm like, what I do? I like, like, I didn't know what was hard and what, what, and I have one guy that's like, you are terrible, man. You'd like, you would send, other ones would just beat you. You'd send me home and said, you discovered in the rule book that you were allowed to make us write handwritten essays. And I was allotted, they were allowed, it could be a 5,000 word written essay was in our curriculum. But so then I tell the kid, I want you to write out by hand an essay explaining this problem. But I'm not going to count the words, so after every word, I need you to write also what number word that is. So they say, I no, spelled out number one. <laughs> and they had to spell out the number. They couldn't just write the number. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. Made me feel so good. I'm glad I exercised that. Then the other one I could do that was guaranteed to get a quitter, like I, a flood of them, is during Hell Week, we'd sit down at lunch, and they'd be eating. And then what I do, because most of the time, the schedule's like very... Uh, secretive, and we don't let it, we want to surprise them. But about like Tuesday afternoon of Hell Week, I would go sit at the table. I'm like, hey, boys, what's for lunch? How are you guys doing? And I have the big old schedule. I'm like, hey, you guys want to know what's going on after lunch, from lunch to dinner? It's going to be great. And I'd open up the book, and I'd go, after lunch, we're going straight from here to Log PT. That's, that's where you take the telephone poles, and they do all this stuff. It's terrible. After Log PT, we, to cool you guys down, we're going to surf torture you, and we're going to hold the, the coldest guy at 95.2, his core temperature, for about 10 minutes. And then from there, we're going to warm you up by making you do some other extra. And by exposing what would come, these guys are like, it's over. And finally, it'd be like lunch, lunch would be over, and four to six guys every time would go to the bell and ring out. They're like, I, I, now that I know, I can't do that. But the secret is like, just keep your eye on the ball. Just keep your eye on Christ. Don't worry about the circumstances of your life. If you keep your eyes on him, it doesn't matter. Your focus is in the right spot. You recognize that you have a sovereign God that no matter how bad the circumstance is, that he is bigger than that circumstance. He's placed it there for your good, whether you understand it or not. Verse 15, which he will bring about at the proper time. What is this proper time? The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you just go back previously. Just this week, there was another guy who I don't know much about him. Apparently, Monday was supposed to be the end of the world. I feel like that about every Monday. But, but, but apparently, this was the Monday that it was supposed to... And this guy called it, I think, in September or something. It's not our, it's not our place to call when Jesus is going to come back. He says, keep your eye on him and... He is going to handle the timing of the event. Just be ready. Like, keep your eye on him. Now, he's continuing to expand. He's, going to, he's continuing to share about Jesus, who he is charging young Timothy with. Remember, God who gives life to all things in Jesus, who 
gave the good confession before Pontius Pilate. You keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he brought about at the proper time. And then Paul's going to continue talking about this Jesus. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. Sovereign means to reign, to rule, to be the king. There is none greater than him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality. Jesus wasn't created at his conception. Larry talked about Christmas, so now I'm ready for Christmas. I love Christmas. But it's so easy during Christmas time, we think, oh, it's Jesus' birthday. It's when he was, like, conceived and started. No, Jesus always was. When he, when he came, that was his incarnation, the appearing of the Lord, very different than Arborus. And he, at his death... He was resurrected from the dead, and he conquered death, and he lives eternally, always. He possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Why is this light unapproachable? Because of his holiness. We have sinned. No man can see him. No man has seen or can see. This is total praise. He's saying that Jesus is totally distinct from us. He's not created. He's creator. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is, he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our all. Skipping through verses 17 through 19, we covered them last week. We have the last, not the last words, but in this letter, the last words of Paul to young Timothy. Like I sense the the love, the passion, the encouragement. In two weeks, um, I've been asked to go to Japan to to, to preach at the church that Ben is at, the missionary that we support. He's He's being called... Um, as a senior pastor, it's like a bit, like they're way more formal uh, than we are, and I have to wear a suit, which is terrible. And and my he says your charge is to commission me, is to challenge me as a new senior pastor. And it's like, oh man, how long do I have? Because I could go for a long time. <laughs> and he's like, he got twenty minutes. It's like, ah. Oh. Because there's so much that, a, that an older pastor, and Ben and I are the same age, but he's taking in this new responsibility, and there's like so much to like tell him. And I get this from Paul to young Timothy. Oh, Timothy. In other places that he refers to as his young son, his child in the faith. This, this man who stood beside him when others departed, this, this guy who was so loyal to him, so faithful, fought with him shoulder by shoulder. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what has falsely been called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. He says, Timothy, guard deeply the word of God. In 2 Timothy 4.1, he says, preach the word. Don't be distracted. 
You stay on guard. God has given you the word of God. God has given you this responsibility to feed the church. Keep a close watch of yourself and on your teaching. He says, don't get distracted. Guard what you've been entrusted with. Avoid fleshly squabbles. Don't get caught up in genealogies and all this stuff. It's all just leading away to bad places. Then he says, grace be with you. It's beautiful. Um, at this time, I'm hoping that the guys are ready to send out communion. I didn't really talk to anybody. Dave's like, hey, do you need to pass out communion? I'm like, hey, good catch, Dave. Are there three others? Or Get some guys there all coming. We're going to pass out the elements now. Um, they're going to they're gonna pass them. I'd ask you to hold them as you receive your element. Just take this time um, just to confess, to ask God to examine your hearts. And once you have the elements in your hand, we will end with communion. And <clears throat> Thank you, guys. So Paul's last words in this letter to Timothy are, grace be with you. Um, what does this mean? What is like, the grace be with you? In our hands, we have a, an object lesson, a, a, a picture of what grace is. Um, Really, it's a picture of grace and mercy. So maybe two sides to one coin. Um, mercy is, is, is withholding something that you deserve. In this picture, the wrath of God has been withheld us. It's been withheld from us. Um, and then we have the other side is God's grace is... is, is it's unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's being given something that you don't deserve. Salvation is made available to us by God's grace. We receive it through faith, not of anything that we have done, not of anything that we are doing. It's a gift. So in our hand, we have a, we have a broken cracker. All it is is a cracker. It's a picture. It's a, it's, a, it's a symbol. And what it symbolizes is Jesus' body on the cross. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Uh, we're told that the world's sins were placed upon him. All sins, past, present, future, were all laid upon him. He absorbed them in full your sin, which you should pay for, which couldn't earn you favor with God because you are a blemished vessel, Jesus being the perfect offering, the, the unblemished Lamb of God, could be the sacrifice for us. And so he went to the cross without guilt, without shame, without anything. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him through the beatings of the Romans, through the crucifixion, Ultimately, he gave up his life, and that's mercy. That was due us, but God withheld it from us, and it pla he placed it on Jesus. And that's what the cracker is. Now, we have the juice, which Jesus tells us is we do this in remembrance of him, to remind us of the new covenant, which Hebrews speaks of, this, um, 
the, the Old Testament priests, they had their um, offerings and their sacrifices that they would do over and over and over again. And as soon as you made a, an, a sacrifice, immediately you were dirty again. It's like our floors in Valley Center. You can mop and clean the floors, but within 30 seconds, there's dirt on your floor. Like, you just can't. It's a perpetual problem. But we're told that his blood is this new covenant that the author of Hebrews speaks about, that it's, it's unlike what the other priests did. That it's his blood, his ability to cleanse It goes to the deepest, most innermost being of who you are, your conscience. And he's able to cleanse you from the inside out through his blood. The other guys were whitewashed walls. They could do a pretty appearance on the outside, but within they were dirty. But through the cross, you've been made clean. It's not a repeated process that Jesus died for you when you believe. It's a once and for all. And so we remember what he did, the mercy, the grace that we don't deserve. And we need to remind ourselves, it's not about your good works. We fall into the, God loves you. He died for you. He did it all. And so as we take this, it's a picture of grace, which we so care about, that we would be people of grace, that we've received this grace, that we display this grace to others. We're confronted with the commission that we've been given, this this charge that Jesus left the church with, that we are his ambassadors to share the good news with the world. So I'm going to pray, and then we can take. Father, we do thank you for the gift. Lord, help us to understand the sufficiency of the cross. It's so hard for us to get grace. Our economy doesn't work like this. Nothing works like this. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to grow in our understanding of grace, to understand what Christ did on the cross for us, that he paid the debt in full. We thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. As we have this juice, we're reminded of the new covenant. We thank you for the sufficiency of the cross. Father, we pray that your grace would abound in our lives. Lord, help us to see the world around us through your eyes. Give us your love, your compassion. Lord, give us courage to share the good news with those around us. We pray that you would keep our church on track. Uh, May your spirit manifest his fruit in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.